Coming up on today's show, we recap the recap of a win in Brooklyn against the Nets and take a closer look at what we saw in the second half of that game vis-a-vis some of the lineups, the way the Bucks closed the game, and Giannis continuing to take over. All of that coming up on Locked on Bucks. You are Locked on Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. And welcome into Locked On Bucks. I'm Justin Garcia. She's Camille Davis. We thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts and viewable on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Today's episode brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Um, Camille, you and Frank broke down what we saw last night in Brooklyn on the post-game pod. Uh, but I think it was nice that you know we've been treated two times already this season to Dame time. I don't know if we can call it Giannis time, but we saw Giannis as the guy that that took over on both ends of the floor to close the game last night. It was beautiful to see, and that's something that a lot of Bucks fans are used to, of course. Over the years, we got used to seeing Giannis being the guy to take over the game and and try to put it away if it wasn't Chris Middleton or you know Drew Holiday getting in there. And Giannis did it on both ends of the floor. It was a game here against the Brooklyn Nets where the Bucks tried a few different things defensively. You know, we saw the drop coverage, we saw how Cam Thomas and Mikael Bridges and even Lonnie Walker were able to get to their spots quickly um, and effectively beat that drop coverage because, as we know, what a drop coverage, uh, that mid range area is going to be open. So, if you're skilled at getting to your spot in the mid range and converting those shots, you can be successful against that coverage. So, we saw that wasn't working. See the Bucks switch over the zone, which did change it up for the Nets. Uh, helped the Bucks get a lead in the third quarter going into the fourth. And then we saw the Nets start getting used to that. Then we see the Bucks getting back out into some switching, uh, man-to-man defense. And at the end of it all, it was Giannis at the five position, which, you know, in his he said himself, I don't look at it as being the big. I'm just out here to hoop. And with him out there in that position, he was able not only to continuously pour points on offensively, uh, but also make some key stops for the Bucks to help seal the game. And also had the awareness, which I loved after that last block, to get the ball out to Dame because uh, he knew someone was going to be fouled and just saying, like, hey, let me get the ball to Dame. And you just love to see it. There were, of course, some things that still could be worked on. I didn't enjoy see Giannis take seven three-point <laughs> shots throughout the course of this game. But the one that he did hit definitely came at a big time, a moment where the Bucks really needed it. Uh, Giannis gave it his all. And I made a joke about it last night saying that, well, we should have known because whenever the Bucks and Giannis play Ben Simmons, uh, Giannis tends to have a good game. And I actually went to look up his stats against Ben Simmons. And Giannis has averaged 32.6 points, 14.8 rebounds, and 6.4 assists in 12 games versus Ben Simmons and his career prior to last night. And seeing Ben after the game saying, you know, I think I defend him pretty well. It was kind of like in, in what world is, is that well when he's averaging these types of numbers and you see him drop 36 uh, on your head this evening, but 
the Bucks need every piece of Giannis. And I know a lot of the conversation has been around Damian Lillard. And of course it has, because he is a brand new player to this team, top 75 player. We've never had a point guard quite like him there. Uh, but let's not forget what Giannis can do. And he definitely showed that in Brooklyn last night. Uh, ben saying that he defends Giannis well is like getting a C minus for a class and your parents like, what, what went on here? Like, well, I passed. What do you mean? What went on here? Like I didn't fail. That's right. the, the Ben Simmons approach. Um, and look, I think you guys talked about the threes last night. I We've seen a lot of discourse on it on Twitter. You have to accept the fact that Giannis is a superstar. Giannis is going to take threes. If Giannis wants to, he's going to do it. We can sit here and scream as loud as we can. He shouldn't take those shots. Right? I only want to see Giannis take X amount of threes per game. I get that. It's just not going to happen. So, like, it's one of the things that you have to live with, I guess. But I did dig into the amount of times he's taken that many threes, and the Bucks are twenty-two and eight in games when he's wow. taken seven or more threes. Um, I don't know that there's any takeaways from that because that's like a 73% win percentage. I would imagine the Bucks have been a 73% win percentage for most of Giannis's tenure here, or at least the last five years. So it's kind of the chicken and the egg of like, yeah, they, well, they win a lot of games. It's not so much they win when Giannis um, takes some threes. But, you know, when we talk about the way that they closed the game last night, um, Giannis was your five down the stretch. You mentioned the block that he had to really ice that game. And, you know, I, I remember after the, the Knicks game, and you and I talked about it over the weekend too, saying, I don't anticipate this team is just going to play drop. Like they're going right. to sprinkle in some things. That was more of just a, all right, we need to get a win here. We need to build some more confidence and, and kind of need that shot in the arm. Let's do this because that's what they're comfortable with. But we're going to weave in some things. And we saw that last night where it was kind of a hybrid approach. You played the drop when Brooke was on the floor. We saw stretches of zone, and I think the thing that that struck me most with last night's game was Griff wasn't afraid to make those changes and to get the sense of when Brooklyn was starting to build something. You saw that stretch of the Bucks built up, what, I think a nine-point lead or 10, and then the Nets swung right back in front and built up a lead. I thought last night Griff did a really good job of sensing – where those momentum shifts were coming and, and when things were starting to change and saying, all right, it's it's time to switch this up and, and let's prevent that from just going full scale. Here's a 20 to two run. And before you know it, the game's out of reach. Exactly that. And that's something that you love to see. I mean, one of the biggest complaints that we had about Coach Bud was that he refused to make enough in-game adjustments. And you see in this Brooklyn Nets game here where, Griff is trying whatever he can at the moment to see what can actually slow down that offensive attack. And for some, it might seem as if the Bucks are just really struggling to figure out what their identity is. But I love the quote that Giannis had after the game in regards to what their defensive identity might look like throughout the course of the season. So I'm going to read this off. I feel like I'm about to be back in like fourth grade and teacher calls on you, like read this paragraph. So <laughs> um, after the game, Giannis said, quote, we know our identity. We're just trying to figure out what works, and we've got to be good at everything. I think we are very good in drop when Brooks on the floor. We are really good when we play small. We can switch. We can make guys just play one-on-one -on -one and take tough shots. Sometimes we've got to play zone whenever we want to make them shoot a lot of tough threes and rebound the ball, go the other way, especially when we're trailing the game and we're down 10 and trying to get back into the game. 
There's a lot of things that we can do that we weren't doing last year. So there's going to be times that it's going to work and there's going to be times when it's not going to work, but it doesn't hurt to try. And right now we're trying things and eventually we're going to figure out what we are really good at and we are going to do it and we're going to know the situation that we have to do things to, end quote. And that really summed it up for me where it's like regular season is for this. It is to see what guys can do, what works, what doesn't to get your reps in because this is a Bucks team that their core is used to playing in that drop style coverage of defense. So they're going to need the reps. They've already played more zone uh, this year, it feels like, than they did last year at this point. And on top of that, like they have to understand what their defensive assignments are in these different defensive schemes. So it's going to take time for them to figure it out. Um, and it's a time to try different guys out in the situations and see who works best at the top of the zone, who works best as the, you know, the main guy at the basket in the zone, who works best in the switching defenses, who works best in the drop alongside Brooke Lopez, because we already know Brooke has that on lock. So it's a time for experimentation and I don't look at it as anything negative for the team. It's something that I am encouraged to see them doing. And it's fun to watch them try to work it out, especially here in November. Like if we're having this conversation in March and April, going into April where it's like, oh, they're still trying to figure things out and, you know, still a bottom 10 defense and we don't know what's going on, then it's a problem. But right now, this is what I'm looking to see. And I'm, you know, I'm excited about what this could look like and what different lineups they can throw out there to try to make it the most effective that it can be. I'm going to one up you too on uh, reading as if we we're in, in grade school. But after the game, uh, another one of those comments from Griff where you, you just, Look, this isn't to to say, man, it's so much better to hear Griff talk after games or before games than Bud because you get more information. I get why Bud was so guarded at mm -hmm. times, but you do get more from Griff. Maybe that'll change as he has more years under his belt as a head coach. But walking us through what, what we talked about, the way they changed up some of their lineups and the different looks that they, they threw at the Nets yesterday, um, specifically, and, and we'll touch on this quite a bit more coming up after the break, but how they went small. To, to close the game and Griff pointed out, look, we needed Brooke. He was great on the boards, especially offensive boards. And I was trying to keep him in the game, but I thought we needed to go smaller so we could start switching. And this Nets team is, is one of those teams that it's not going to be a great matchup for Brooke. And right. especially with no Nick Claxton on the game, that their bigs were smaller guys like a Dayron sharp and Dorian Finney Smith that can handle the ball and they want to push the pace so switching was imperative to griff down the stretch uh, he said i put in bobby first because he played so well in the first half he was phenomenal i wanted to give him the first crack but then it got to the point where we just needed to defend the three-point line so we went even smaller and, and that's when pat Connaughton um came in so you know for griff to walk you through look this happened then this happened then this happened you get a little more insight there and you know also i understand why it's not just bud a lot of tenured coaches will take a similar approach of look this is how we play this is what we work on in practice this is what we walk through like this is where these guys have the most reps this is what we're doing and if they can beat us at our best playing that way then more power to them but to hear griff walk you through of, well he, this happened and then this happened and then they countered so my counter was this was another encouraging sign for me to to see this guy that's waited so long and has had these ideas and it's had to be that guy bringing those ideas to Nick Nurse in the past to say, hey, they're doing this. Maybe we should should switch this up. You get to see that now as Adrian Griffin is the head coach. 
Absolutely. And like you said, it's encouraging to see that because you can imagine that him as a first time head coach, he had in his mind the way that his team would look, the primary scheme that he would run once he got the opportunity to be a head coach. He gets here to the Bucks in this team and, you know, he tries to implement uh, his style of defense as the primary defensive coverage that the Bucks are running. And we saw it wasn't working quite as well. And the next thing you know, we're seeing the Bucks back in drop coverage. Brooke looks a bit more comfortable getting more blocks in a game than he had throughout the course of the season up until that point. Um, even though in Brooklyn, the coverage was getting beat because of the skilled players that Brooklyn had, uh, it goes to show his flexibility and just his desire to win first and foremost, by not being so stuck in his ways of saying, this is how I've always envisioned it looking. So this is how it's going to look. So I definitely applaud him for that as well. So I do want to touch on uh, what we saw to close the game with the, with some of those lineups and what we start the game with, with uh, some of the lineups as well. We'll get to that after we tell you about prize picks. It's the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Uh, easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more or less. Uh, two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings start to roll in. Basketball season's here, as we all know. You can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, let's say Giannis and Jordan Love had a combo of four and a half block shots and touchdown passes. You could play that. You want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like Meek Mill, Andrew Schultz, the comedian. You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community every week. Prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. And again, use that code locked on NBA, L O C K E D O N NBA, and you'll get a first deposit match up to $100 when using prize picks. So uh, we we mentioned those lineups and going small. And as as this team continues to figure things out, you and I have uh, talked about what we've seen. I know it's just six games, but six games in from Jay Crowder, night and day difference. And I talked about this a little bit on my radio post game show last night. But I've been the first to encourage people: give it time. It's gonna take time. Don't jump to broad conclusions after six games, after five games, etc. But it does feel very comforting to know coming into this season, even before the Damian Lillard acquisition, some of the biggest questions were what kind of a leap will Marjan Bochamp take? And I think we've continued to see some growth for him. As, as Frank would point out, the biggest leap he's going to have to take literally is with I one believe. foot instead of two. Uh, but the others are, I think there were some legitimate concerns, certainly from fans, about what version of Jay Crowder are we getting? Because what we saw last year was not great. And I think Jay would be the first to point that out. And Chris Middleton, he looked great or very good offensively in that series against the Miami Heat, but defensively was a different story. So there was some concerns coming in of what version are we getting of both of these guys? If they're at all cooked, that changes the trajectory for this team. 
again very early, but so far from what we've seen from both of those guys, that does not appear to be the case. And in the case of Jay Crowder, he, to me, has been one of the biggest eyebrow raisers so far this season. He may not be the guy he was in Miami in that bubble series where the Bucs faced him, or maybe not even the guy the Bucs faced in the finals when he was with the Phoenix Suns. But he's closer to that Phoenix Suns version than he is to what we saw a year ago. And if he can stay there, when we talk about small ball lineups, he could play the two. He could play the three, depending on where you slot Chris. He can play the four alongside Giannis, and that gives them some much-needed versatility. That's the name of the game, versatility, flexibility, being able to combat whatever it is the other team is trying to throw at you. We know Adrian Griffin wants his defense to really set the tone um, and take it to the other team. So having somebody like Jay Crowder, who is versatile in all the ways that you mentioned, being able to play two through four on this team and also do it effectively because as you mentioned last year after the Miami Heat series, I was left with questions where I'm like, I'm not sure if Jay Crowder looked so poor. And I should say poor on the defensive end because he was still yeah. knocking down jumpers when he was open on offense. But defensively, he just looked the step too slow. Jimmy Butler was cooking them. And again, Jimmy was cooking just about everybody on this Bucks team last year. So in retrospect, I guess that's to be had. That was <laughs> a given that that was going to happen. But Really, I was just looking at him like, wow, he doesn't seem to be able to move as quickly laterally anymore. He's guessing in the wrong way. It just seemed like he was off. And I couldn't tell if that was because, you know, he was getting older and he was losing some of his lateral quickness or if it was a thing where it just he's spent the whole season at home for the most part and he wasn't able to get quality NBA work. So he was a little step behind and really trying to get back up into up to speed. And again, we also have heard a little bit of rumblings about the relationship with Coach Bud and how he was unclear of his role. And that we know that can affect players as well. When you're not clear about what is expected of them, uh, things can be thrown completely haywire. And as a general principle, I mean, clear is kind. If you know exactly what you're here to do, uh, it tends to make a lot more sense. So seeing Jay so far this season where, again, the jumper looks really good still with him this season to see how he's able to move laterally, defensively, play up, play down. It's it's been really encouraging to see. And as you mentioned, that's a big that was a big key for this Bucks team and their future success. It, it I don't say it rides on Jay, but you need quality role players to be able to fit particular situations. And Jay looks like a guy who can be a Swiss Army knife for this Bucks defense. Yeah, he's at basically averaging 10 points a game uh, so far this season, four rebounds as well, but uh, he's shooting 52% on his threes. Now, that number's going to drop, right? Uh, but you know, you mentioned we saw him hit open jumpers last year, and that wasn't so much the question. It was also very streaky that I think when you think what were the highs for Jake Crowder last year, obviously that, that first weekend when he had basically the homecoming of sorts and played the Heat. He hit those back-to-back threes, those corner threes against the Suns in that uh, Sunday afternoon game. And then it was just kind of up and down. I don't remember the exact um, quote, but Bobby talked about it into the offseason, too, about what Jay was going through. And I think Bobby experienced it somewhat his first year in Milwaukee as well, where he said, look, Bud's a guy that you, you just you have to win his trust. And it usually takes time for you to get there. And that's something Jay Crowder didn't have. You know, unfortunately, and, and you mentioned, too, it's one thing to be in shape. He's certainly in better shape than any of us, but it's another right. thing to be in game shape, to go through that and to deal with that. 
the physicality and everything else. And I think that's kind of where Jay was behind the eight ball last year. But the last point you made, you know, if if he looked closer to the guy that we saw for extended stretches last year, so far this year, that would really leave you thinking, where does this team go from here? Like, what are what is their options for versatility and, and putting different lineups out there? So the more Jay Crowder looks like this, the more it changes things. We talked about how they closed the game yesterday that Griff walked us through. I wanted to continue to win the offensive board, so we kept Brook in until I felt we needed to switch. Then we saw Bobby. Then when they started hitting threes, and again, the Nets are a tough matchup because of that personnel. Mm-hmm. Then we needed to go smaller, and that was Pat Connaughton. So it's going to work in the regular season, whereas they continue to learn this. They have, as long as Jay and Chris keep looking like they do, they have those options to go to. And you love to see it. And in addition, we haven't even mentioned, you know, like Marjan, he's been getting his consistent 15 minutes or so a game here. And when he comes in, he's really taking on the task of being that defensive guy. So behind Jay, behind Chris, knowing that you have a younger guy uh, who can continue to grow and develop with this team. And we also know that, you know, player development is something that Coach Griffin uh, prides himself on. It's going to be really interesting to see what Marjan can be in a few more months' time if his role grows, if he gets more minutes, or if he's going to be slotted in to play a crucial 15 to 20 minutes um, in key games down the stretch because they know what he can do. As long as they can start developing trust in him as well, to have someone like that behind Jay, behind Chris, I think that, again, adds to the versatility that this team can deploy defensively. All right, we've talked about the way the Bucs close the game and some of those closing lineups, but I do want to touch on how they start the game and the five that are on the floor when they do start uh, those games. I want to get to that and uh, an all-too-early look at the standings as well. But uh, first, we have to tell you about FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel. They are America's number one sports book, and right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. You heard that right, 150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is incredibly easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options including spreads, player props, over/unders, you name it, they've got it and more. Visit fanduel.com/lockedon. That's L O C K E D O N and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Uh, Camille, there's been a lot of chatter, and I think you got into this as well, about the starters that uh, we see. Last night was uh, another one of those games where it seems like we've seen, what, three or so of these already this season where you look at the shot volume for Malik Beasley, and let's preface with this. Chris's minutes are going up. Giannis took 27 shots. You got Damian Lillard. Jay Crowder was hot as well. The entire bench was hot, especially from three. So it's going to eat up into shot opportunities. We talked uh, over the weekend about what we'd seen defensively from Malik Beasley. He's been a willing defender. I'm willing to give it more time. I I think we all kind of raised an eyebrow when we saw that Malik Beasley was going to be the starter. I think we need some more time to see how this meshes together, but it, it coming in, it, if you had questions about it, I think your thought was it almost seems like Malik Beasley would be best served on the bench as a guy that comes in as basically your designated scorer. And 
maybe you rely more on the defense for that fifth spot in the starting lineup. Have you seen anything six games in that has led you away from that or pushed you more and more down that path? Coming into the season, I was surprised to hear that Malik Beasley was being looked at as the fifth starter and being someone who was going to be tasked with the toughest defensive assignment night in and night out. I, it caught me off guard based on his history uh, that he would be the guy that you're looking to put on to the toughest defensive assignment on a night in and night out basis in that starting lineup. So I had questions around that and to see him play uh, again, it's not for a lack of effort. The, the man is really putting in the effort on the defensive end. He has active hands. He's playing passing lanes. He's doing all of the things that Griff is asking him to do. But personally, I feel as if, Malik Beasley as a fifth starter made a lot more sense when Drew Holiday was your starting point guard rather than when it's Damian Lillard. Because with Drew Holiday next to him, you have that point of attack defender. You have a guy in Drew Holiday who we know can get a bucket, but he's not known for being a bucket. Drew Holiday is known for his defense. So if you put somebody like Malik Beasley next to him, who's not known for his defensive skills, but somebody who's known for being a bucket, it made a lot more sense to me because Drew Strams could overcome some of Malik's weaknesses and vice versa. Now you pair Damian Lillard next to Malik Beasley, and it just doesn't feel as complimentary of a backcourt as what was initially thought when Drew Holiday was still on the roster. And looking at some of the NBA um, lineup advanced stats, I was just really curious about the two-man game with Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley. And one of all two man lineups the Bucks have run out there, it is the second most uh, minutes played, just right behind Brooke and Dane with 148 minutes. And their net rating together is a minus 19.3. And that feels about right for that two man combo. And of course, when we're looking at two man combinations, it's a lot more noise that goes into that than just what those two guys are doing. But when talking about the backcourt, I just wanted to kind of see what their particular net rating was. And it, it fit what I would think that it would be. And it's not a knock on Malik. I think that he can still have a valuable role for this team. It's just that I would like for my starting five to set a pace and set a tone for the game uh, where they're not digging themselves into a hole for any particular reason. And they're just getting out fast and strong. It reminds me a bit uh, years ago when we first got Bud and we were talking about who that fifth starter might be. And the argument for Tony Snell was that, hey, that fifth guy doesn't need to do too much. We just need him to play some defense and knock down an open shot. And I feel very similar to that space or that role with this particular Bucks team in the sense where if you have Giannis, you have Dame, when Chris Middleton is off of his minutes restriction, you have him out there, you have Brooke. That fifth starter doesn't need to be somebody who's an automatic bucket or anything like that. They just kind of have to play their role and knock down open shots and defend. And I think there might be other options on the bench, like a Marjan or a Jay, who can fit that a little bit cleaner than what Malik can give you. But it's still early. We're seeing his minutes dwindle um, at the moment, so not sure if a change is coming. Uh, but I would, I would like to see one um, down the line. He's um, he's averaging just over five three point attempts per game, which would be the lowest uh, that he individually has posted since the nineteen twenty season, the two thousand nineteen season not 1920 the year um but that's and look that's going to be a product too is what we just went through when you got Giannis and Dame and and Brooke Lopez has taken some high volume shots you look back at the Knicks game as well so there's just a lot of mouths to feed that you do to your point 
wonder if this conceptually was a much better idea up until September 28th or whatever day that they acquired Damian Lillard, where it was, yeah, he can, he can pair off a Drew Holiday pretty well there. And, and look, the other thing, kind of like the Giannis three-point attempt stat that, that I mentioned earlier, that I'm not sure that this is actually anything, but it is worth keeping an eye on. He's had two games so far this season where he's taken 10 or more field goal attempts. Those are both of the Bucks' losses this season. Mm-hmm. That in the wins is when you've seen that low volume of looks. The, the four field goal attempts that he had on opening night, two field goal attempts against the Knicks, and he only took five of them last night against the Nets. So uh, that seems to be what you're looking for out of that fifth start. And I think Malik Beasley is going to be better suited to be a guy that can come in with some of those bench units. We've seen Dame play with the bench quite a bit. Maybe it's when Giannis is still on the floor and Dame leaves that you bring in Malik Beasley as the shooter to play with him and get a lot more of those open looks. But the volume just doesn't seem like it's going to be there as long as he's in the, uh, the starting lineup. And, and look, it, your comparison too is, is spot on with Tony Snell. Of you know, that's all that you needed, and that was in a lineup too that was a Bledsoe was the point guard. And you think about the guys that you were trying to feed the ball to. So I think the same applies to Malik Beasley. So I'm I'm not saying it's been a disaster or it's been right. horrible or bad or any of that. And I don't think you are either. But it's the one thing to keep an eye on that I think everybody kind of said, well. I'd put the over-under at, what, like 25 and a half games, something like that, of we'll see how it's going and and check in on this, that, you know, it's not that Malik Beasley has been bad. I think the role he may be better suited for is just a guy that can come in and hunt shots off the bench and give you some of that defense, sure, um, but focus a little more on just getting some open looks with that second unit. Before we do wrap up here, uh, as we mentioned a handful of things that are, well, it's it's early, but this, look, for all of the fretting that Bucks fans had and the worries. And, and look, it wasn't great after that Raptors loss last week where we all were kind of doing some questioning. And I think the players were doing some soul searching as well. Despite all of that and the fact that the Boston Celtics assembled what few have said is maybe the best starting five in the history of the NBA. Mm. When I look at the standings this morning, what, two weeks into the season, for all the ups and downs and struggles that the Bucks have gone through, They are one game out of the top spot in the Eastern Conference. That is not the narrative I have been hearing outside of Milwaukee. And it's in part because of how they've been getting their wins. They don't look as dominant of a team as people suspected that they could when they got the pairing of Damian Lillard and Yata DeCompo, where it's like these players should just fit in perfectly next to each other and it should be smooth rolling. The offense should be explosive because of this, because of the grab. We all know all of the different reasons why everybody felt that way. And I still think that offense has potential to be that. It's just that it hasn't looked smooth or put together so far. And the victories have all, uh, they've been close. We've needed Dame time in two. We had Giannis time in one. Like it, it's been, uh, it's, it's been work and this team is really trying to figure things out. It hasn't looked smooth. It's been clunky at times. Possessions have looked where you're like, I move the ball a bit more, or I want to see more pick and roll with Dame and Chris or with Dame and Giannis or with Dame and Brooke, whoever it might be, whatever it is that we've been looking to see more of people haven't seen it. So at this point it's kind of like, this doesn't look exactly how we've you know been wanting it to. And I saw that uh, Chris Hayes on a Chris Haynes on a podcast mentioned that, Dame and uh, Giannis have been spending a lot of time together at each other's homes, studying film, really trying to figure it out and putting in that extra time because 
real life isn't like 2K where you can just sub somebody in and you automatically hit the ground running. It takes a little time to work that in. And I also think with people seeing how Boston has clicked and started off the season on that, you know, win streak before losing to the Timberwolves the other night that like, why can't we be rolling like that? Like they just won by 50. Like we're everything we're getting has been tough and difficult and the defense hasn't looked good. The offense hasn't looked great. So I can see why, you know, locally, everybody's kind of like, wow, this team has a lot to work on, but to be four and two with a lot to work on is so much better than being, you know, one and five and staring up at a hole that you're already trying to dig yourself out when it comes to the standing. So uh, it's going to take them a time for it to look as smooth and beautiful as we all projected it to be. But I do think we're well on our way to getting there. And look, Boston is the same coach as last year. They have, Mm -hmm. I know they've, they've added those pieces around, but Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum are a pretty big part of that team. And they're still there. I think that's not unexpected that I thought Boston would probably finish the season and, and probably will with the best record in the Eastern conference, but I, did too. I don't want that. You know, like we've, we've gone through that before and we've seen very, very rare. Is it that the team with the best record in the league is the team that ultimately wins the championship. You don't want to be the team that's peaking in December and January. You want to start to figure it out in March and April and, and heading into the playoffs. And I think that's what the Bucks. Are, uh, are setting themselves up for. They're, they're four and two. Expected win-loss with the way they've played so far is two and four. So there's that caveat. But as we've said, it's uh, it's going to be a process for this team. It got three more games this week, including another back-to-back coming up with the Pistons at home. Then you go to Indiana to take on the Pacers, and that's going to be a team very similar to what we saw in the Brooklyn Nets. That's going to be a tough one with uh, Tyrese Halliburton is uh is playing so some interesting matchups and and the magic in an afternoon game on saturday uh camille and frank will be back with the post game recap for that bucks and pistons game and uh, i'm gonna do maybe somebody else as well but we're gonna do another one of the uh game previews for the bucks and the pistons game tomorrow as well so plenty of content to get you ready for this back-to-back that the bucks have coming up this week For Camille, I'm Justin. We will talk to you once again tomorrow.